Hey Liberators, welcome to the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model Podcast. This is going to be a mishmash of audio content. LinkedIn content, guest podcasts, interviews, debates, and live Q&A. We'll primarily discuss how you can liberate yourself from the outdated and harmful sales-led growth model from the 1980s and instead achieve marketing-led growth via the buyer-centric revenue model. Enjoy profit, growth, a competitive advantage, and more productive and fulfilling careers. Topics include 1. Marketing versus sales development. 2. Real sales versus sales assembly line. 3. Real goals and metrics versus MQLs and quota. 4. Full salary plus bonus versus commission. If you haven't already, I highly demand that you sign up for the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model Slack community to discuss and implement the model. Join the movement of forward-thinking peers liberating and modernizing B2B marketing and sales. Enjoy insights, resources, and jobs. Plus, live Q&A on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Head over to buyercentricrevenue.com to sign up. If you want to learn more, check out my LinkedIn videos or my book, Marketing-Led Growth via the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model, available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audiobook. And now to this episode. Hey, everyone. In this episode, we've got Jay Desai, the head of marketing at Captivate Talent, a B2B talent agency for sales, marketing, and customer success. So Jay, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, Nelson, thanks for having me. Excited to chat. Awesome. So let's stick you right into the B2B buyers flip-flops. And so how do you first like to become aware of vendors? How do you first like to hear about them? You know, who do you hear about them from? Uh, Where do you hear about them from? And so, for example, that could be peers, influencers, word of mouth, communities, LinkedIn, various social platforms, and leave aside for the moment how you do research and how you eventually learn about vendors. We'll come back to that, but this is the initial awareness stage. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I'll do it from my perspective as a solo marketer. Uh, So I don't have a marketing team or anything like that. Um, It's just me and then maybe some contractors sometimes. So for me, how I usually hear about products is like through, like you said, like word of mouth is probably the biggest one. Um, I get ads too. Um, so I look through that, obviously like everyone else, I get emails. Um, those are probably the three biggest buckets. I mean, I get cold calls like everyone else as well. I don't really pick them up. So I guess that's a story for later on in this episode, (laughs) but, uh, uh, yeah, I think, uh, just the way that everyone pretty much receives them. Um, and, uh, yeah. Nice one. And so for word of mouth, and uh, ads, what channels or platforms are are you uh, on? Like, for example, for word of mouth, what social platforms or what communities? Yeah, for me, it's LinkedIn and Twitter is what I'm plugged into the most. I'm actually trying to get back on Twitter. I haven't done it in a few months, um, but I'm trying to make my way back on there. So it's right now, I guess it's a majority of it is LinkedIn for word of mouth. And then from the community part, I don't really, I guess a lot of the communities that I'm part of have become very big and become very noisy where it kind of becomes like everyone wants to plug their own product or ask like surface level questions, uh, which is like a huge time suck. So I don't usually hang out there that much. If I need to like message someone that I have like talked to before, I might 
do that. Uh, but I'll go through usually I'll try and go through like LinkedIn messaging um, or, or Twitter message, Twitter DMS first. And then when it comes to ads uh, for me, the biggest ones right now are probably Instagram. And surprisingly, I still use Facebook a decent amount. Um, I tend to usually skip past the ads that come up on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, so I guess that's a little bit interesting over there. And then uh, occasionally I'll find stuff on TikTok sometimes as well. I don't really spend as much time on there. It's kind of hard to spend time everywhere, but those are my my main sources. I find that the ones on Facebook and Instagram are really, really great because they're just, uh, Facebook and Instagram have been around for such a long time. They've really nailed down that algorithm um, on how to reach people, especially if you know what you're doing there. So that's mm. a great place for uh, me to see products as well. That's awesome. So, you know, word of mouth on LinkedIn and on Twitter, uh, ads on Instagram and Facebook, and also some emails as well. And so now let's take the inverse of that question. How do you not like to be marketed to in order to become aware of vendors? Um, What sort of marketing at the awareness stage turns you off and causes you to tune out? Yeah, again, I'll do it from uh, this time. I know I did it as a solo marketer. So I'll do it from like a creator's perspective because I create a lot of content on LinkedIn. So I generally that comes with like a lot of messages as well. Uh, so with that in mind, for me, uh, what I don't really like getting is like all of the DMs on LinkedIn that are just like straight product pitches. I mean, that's probably what everyone hates too, right? They, the emails that you get when you see the same person pop up like a bajillion times in your inbox like asking to meet and talk uh and then the worst one is like uh the the calls and like i've even started getting some sms's like mess like text messages sometimes and stuff like that and it's just like way too much it's like really hard to um to keep focus and you get so many of those messages that it's really you, you just kind of become like whether it's like you know something that is a little bit more value add and maybe that's the approach that someone's taking but it kind of becomes like, Hey, if everyone's doing this, like, I just need to block out all of that noise. Um, and so that's, that's typically what happens is like, I hate getting those kinds of messages unless they're like really, really like tailored. And it looks like someone's spent time either reading through my content or like has done a good job of understanding who I am, um, is, is usually when, uh, I'll, I'll respond, but most of the times it's, I'd say like 99% of the times it's just garbage. <laughs> right on. Hear that a lot. So, you know, not a fan of LinkedIn spam, email spam, telemarketing, and even nowadays uh, tech spam or SMS spam. And 99% of the time, uh, you know, tunes that out. And so I was, my follow-up question was going to be, what percentage of the time do you take a demo um, and then from there, what percentage of time do you actually buy because of that? And in, in a way, I guess you answered that partly, but I'll let you uh, clarify that one. Yeah, if it wasn't obvious for my answer before, it's zero percent, basically. <laughs> it's it's zero percent. I honestly, just because of the way those messages are at this point, I I feel like, at least for me personally, like for someone that does get a lot of messages, especially like being a solo marketer, like I get all of the marketing, like anything that's kind of falls under the marketing sphere like I get all of that in or I guess all the outbound stuff that goes directly to my inbox and all that stuff and so you know I I block that out mostly and for me it's become like if that's how you pitch your product 
you've lost a lot of brand trust with me. Uh, whether or not your solution is good, um, it's really like uh, just because the way you've taken the approach of messaging like that and like don't respect my inbox, my time, uh, my communication channels. Like, how can you ex- like how I, I'm not going to respect your your product or whatever you're you're offering because you haven't shown a, a respect for for my time and my inbox and and all that stuff. So it really like severs that uh, trust almost immediately and it kind of just becomes like a compounding thing like you know marketing there's like compounding growth like this is negative compounding growth because the more messages I get from the same person that I clearly haven't responded to um, it makes me feel just even more and more likely to like never use that product again right on ever actually I guess in the first place (laughs) yeah and and that you I like the your formulation it's negative compounding growth so despite the fact that uh, spam doesn't get uh, like like the probability of you actually getting the results you want, like uh, demand and revenue. And um, you're also turning buyers off and damaging your company's reputation and damaging word of mouth. And so, uh, which is the opposite when you do proper marketing, you get compounding yield. Um, and so a positive yield <laughs> and you're getting compounding negative loss from all this. And so Jay's that poor girl at the bar who's getting hounded uh, by all these annoying uh, people and uh, just getting turned off by that. So now with that, Jay, uh, you kind of already shared your uh, percentages, but we ask everyone on the show for a percentage split preference for becoming aware of vendors from proper marketing like content, social ads, word of mouth, the influence of your peers, um, the things we talked about at the beginning um, versus spam from telemarketing, email spam, LinkedIn spam, and maybe bribery via gift cards and and texting spam. So do you have a percentage split preference just to clarify that one again uh, for becoming aware of vendors from proper marketing versus spam? Yeah, I'll actually give you an interesting answer to this. It might not be what you expect. I'd mm-hmm. actually say in an ideal world, I'd love it for it to be 50-50, honestly. Um, and the reason that I say that is because I think there are good opportunities to do like that outbound successfully, like when you are tailoring a message, when it is to a specific need, um, or you're doing that kind of like, you're starting that value add conversation, essentially. Um, like there's a lot of things that can make sense. Like, for instance, like, let's think about like startups for a second, like startups, usually, you know, your founders wearing a lot of hats. You may have like a few people on your team. Um, you, you want to maybe specialize a little bit more and you're, you know, maybe you raise funding and you're thinking about like, how do we get a little bit more specialized? Like, how do we get, you know, someone who's not just doing all of marketing, maybe someone who's doing like paid ads or something like that, or, Hey, like we need to do like content marketing more effectively or whatever that is like if that need is like clear and, you know, in your face or like, you know, you're able to understand like, this is kind of like when those trends happen, like when someone's looking for that, I would love, like, if I was in that, in that position where like, yes, I'm actively looking for a product and, you know, someone's able to identify that or kind of maybe there are some signals out there and sends me like a message, like for a product, like, absolutely. Like that makes a lot of sense. Like a, a good example, I guess, is like, I put out an ask, I think it was last week on like Friday um, to ask about what kind of like uh, we're, we're working on a live show um, at our company and, you know, 
doing the whole podcasting and all that stuff. And so we're using a current platform right now, but it's not giving everything that I need for it. And so I put out an ask to my network, which is like, Hey, like what, you know, what are, I, this is what I'm looking for. Like, this is what my ideal solution looks like. Like, what are your recommendations? So I'm getting some word of mouth, like, uh, you know, recommendations through there. But at that point, I'm also willing to be a little bit more open to someone sending me a message and saying like, Hey, like I have this product, like, you know, this kind of fits like what you're looking for. Like, just like send the link. Like there's no, like, you know, overly, like, I'm going to keep messaging you and hounding you until you buy this. Um, but yeah, so like in an ideal world, I think, uh, I love to see it at 50, 50, where it's like, you know, if there's no need, like sometimes there are like, you don't need a new MarTech solution or you don't need the, another piece of technology, like that point, like, please do not message me. But like, if I'm looking for something, like I'd absolutely be open to learning about something that maybe I missed through my research, um, you know, through, through some sort of thing. It would probably, I, my preference would probably be, I say like 50, 50, but I I'd probably prefer it to be like through like some sort of like, uh, mess like, uh, like, you know, either DMS or emails versus like cold calls, um, or text messages to my phone. Um, so that for the text message and the, and the cold calls, I would say like 0%, like, I don't want any of that stuff. Um, yeah. but I would be open to discover products potentially, through email or through messaging, if it is like obviously something that I'm looking for and in need of. Yeah. So in Jay's scenario here, for example, he's like putting out a shout on uh, social media, uh, inquiring about certain vendors he's looking into. And in response to that, he would be open if people uh, from those vendors be like, Hey, uh, saw your bat signal on this public platform. Um and you're interested in what we do, um, you know, here's some information if you want to check us out or something. So it's not in that case, spam. It's like, he's out there on a public platform asking, you know, the, the, the audience there, which includes vendors, um, if anyone can help him. And so that would be appropriate for a vendor to say, Hey, we can, we can help you. Um, and so hopefully that vendor's marketing team is, uh, has, you know, has got eyes on that or is in tune to Jay and, or mentions of their category, and then they can, um, mention something. And so, um, so in that case, I'll put you down Jay, uh, as maybe 50, 50, although it's a bit, it's a bit tricky given the way I phrased that question. And, and so, one of Jay's other points was, you know, if I'm already in the market, if I'm already like, if I already have a problem and I'm looking for a solution, right. And then someone messages me, right. Um, I'm less likely to be turned off by that because you're already in, in the market. You are, I've already been marketed to at that point and are likely about to, um, you know, you're, you're, you want to consider a vendor and maybe you're about to even consider or hit up this vendor or go, uh, you know, and then they, they message you just at that golden time, that rare time. And so it's like, well, I was going to come in anyways. So no biggie. Um, but then you have to consider, well, what were all the things that got you to that point beforehand? And um, so maybe the timing, that aspect of the timing 
having to be really, really, really like you're just about there, um, you know, is, uh, is a very small, small window as a buyer that you are in that moment and something for vendors to be considering. So I'll put you down for 50, 50. Now, moving on to how you then like to learn about vendors. So once you become aware of vendors, um, how do you then like to do your research? Uh, and where do you go for information? Do you go to your peers? Do you go to the website? And what information are you seeking? You know, use cases, pricing, to see the product, how the product works, uh, stuff like that. Go for it. Yeah, for me, it's usually going directly to the website. Um, if it's got a product with like a trial or something or a freemium kind of like model, I'd love to sign up and kind of dig in for a second. Um, I guess the caveat to there is you've got to do a really good job of kind of like your product-led onboarding um, to make sure that, you know, it, it's easy to understand like how to use the product and kind of get started and stuff like that because no one wants to get stuck getting frustrated but yeah, I will typically go through websites. Um, you know, I will also dig around and kind of like use my own signals. Like if I've seen someone mention this platform before, like that's most of the times when I'm going to the website. So like I've maybe gotten it through, you know, word of mouth or maybe I've gotten an ad for it um, or maybe I've seen someone mention it um, or, or something like that. Um, where I'll go and go check out the website and I'll look through, you know, the product features for me, I am a maker. So like I, uh, I'm, I'm doing strategy, but I'm also like getting into the nitty gritty in the day to day where like, I, you know, I actually have to like, you know, as a solo marketer, like I'm producing the content, uh, I'm making sure we're like active where we're distributing, you know, I'm putting together the emails, like all that stuff. So uh, for me, like being able to to try it and get my hands dirty is like what's what's really important. So I look a lot at the features and like uh, the the benefits and things like that um, over there. I'm somewhat interested in case studies. I think those are really effective for like more like enterprise grade solutions where you really have to get like a lot more buy in. Uh, but for me, like I just want to get in the product and and try it out. Um, and so that's that's for me personally. Um, so that's what I'll do through my my research process is really going to the website. It's a lot of self-serve stuff. Um, I, you know, I have a busy day to day. I can't sit on, uh, I can't spend like, you know, 30 minutes to an hour every week listening to demos and all of that stuff. Um, but that's for me personally. I, I know for other marketers, it might mm. different depe- uh, differ depending on how specialized you are and what your day to day looks like, but that's kind of my process. Right on. So, you know, you'll look through the website, check out product info, features, case studies, but above all, you want to be able to get into the product, try the product for free, free trial, freemium. And you might also sprinkle in asking, uh, you know, your peers um, who've used this product, perhaps how they use it, um, what their experience has been like, what use cases uh, that they, that they have. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So um, you mentioned, you know, you like to do a lot of self-serving Um and so what would you say, let's do another percentage split preference. So what would you say is your percentage split preference for getting information by yourself, uh, thanks to marketing, like self-educating and self-serving from the website, from content, from social, from your peers who marketing is also influencing versus um, information that is gated behind sales. And you need to speak to sales 
in order to learn about the product, to see the product, maybe to try the product or even to get pricing. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I think from my perspective, as someone who is as a solo marketer, who's the decision maker and the user, I would say probably at or close to 100% for the self-serve bottle. Um, just because like I said, uh, for me, my time is very, time is my biggest asset uh, and I need to be able to do stuff to produce. And so being able to self-serve just gives me like an advantage in my day-to-day and, you know, how we can market and things like that. Um, like I said, I'm sure it's different for other marketers, um, you know, who maybe have more decision makers involved in the process. Maybe they're not the end user, um, whatever that case may be, but as someone who is the decision maker and is the end user, um, I'd say it's at or close to hundred percent. Yeah, de- definitely. I mean, Jay, when he says he's a solo marketer, uh, Captivate Talent has got about 20 employees and he's the only marketer there really. Um, and so he's um, doing it all, right? And he uh, needs to be able just to kind of get into that product and get all that information. He doesn't have time to go, you know, it's not like he's got a whole marketing team. He's going to do this whole complex uh, evaluation. He needs to be able just to just to run with the information himself and pull the trigger on it, right? Um, and so now let's let's talk about your buying preferences for sales. So we talked a lot about your buying preferences for marketing, how you like to be marketed to. Let's now go to sales. So assuming you want and need a seller to some extent, um, and maybe you can shed light as to if and when that actually is, and you can think about your historical um, uh, situations where you had to speak to a seller and what, you know, what that was like, but assuming you need to speak to sales, do you prefer a single seller with no handoffs? So let's say an AE CSM combined, the same seller pre-sale, the same seller post-sale to help with implementation, adoption, and customer success, or, um, multiple sellers with buyer handoffs. Um, so you might have one seller pre-sale, another seller, post-sale. So the AECSM split, uh, go ahead. I think for me, honestly, I really don't have a preference over either model. Um, it's really what's effective and what's going to work to help me get started with the product and find success, um, as fast as I can. And, you know, that means that for a certain business or whatever the product is like that business model works better with an AECSM, like, one person that kind of has maybe some of the skill sets of both um, or it, you know, it works better if there's a specific AE and a specific CSM, if that works better um, for me, I think, you know, like we've been talking about this whole episode is like, it comes back to that experience. Like what is that user experience like? Um, mm-hmm. And for me, the user experience, that's like uh, the, the key thing that I'm most in tune to is a user experience that creates the most effective use of that platform for me. So like, doesn't matter whether you have one model or the other model, um, as an end user, I just want to be able to get up and, and get running and, you know, understand, you know, what the features, what the benefits are, um, you know, what the pricing is, uh, you know, how can you help me, how can you help enable me to, to get, to get and find success? Um, it doesn't matter if I'm talking to one person or two people at different times, Um, I just want to be able to find that success and goes back to like, you know, how we talked about like that user experience and having a really strong user experience. 
Um, so to answer your question, it would be neutral. Uh, I don't really have a preference. Um, it, it just comes down to what, how can I find success with the product? Right on. So I put you down as neutral and, um, you know, folks who are listening should speak to their buyers about what their experience is like with their sales process. Are they, um, achieving what Jay wants, which is someone who can help them evaluate, adopt, buy, um, implement, adopt, and be successful. Um, and is that seller doing a good enough job um, or not? Or will they be doing a better job, do you think, if uh, they, they had greater expertise and uh, greater efficacy and had greater experience in, uh, in uh, all the aspects of the sales process or all things to take into account to say, are we achieving that objective from our buyers in the best way possible? Are they happy with it? And are we doing the best we can um, with our resources? So now let's pivot to your preferences for sales compensation as a buyer. So um, do you prefer a seller who is commissioned or a seller who is paid a full salary and bonus at the outset? And so you can think of the full salary and bonus as their full OTE um, given to them, guaranteed to them, regardless of whether or not you buy, whereas commission and or their compensation depends on your decision to purchase. And so assuming you knew that in advance, say it was advertised on the website, um, uh, you know, what would be your preference? Yeah, I think I might have a different answer than, than most people here as well, which is, you know, I personally don't really have a preference to that. Uh, you know, I think uh, good, good selling comes down to, and you know, that it connects back to the whole entire business. Like how do you provide that best user experience? Um, and I think if you have a, if you've worked really hard and built a really good product um, and you know, you're listening to your users and you're using that feedback um, it, for me, it doesn't really matter whether you're doing like more of a commission-based structure or a, a base salary and maybe some sort of bonus or whatever, whatever that looks like. Um, you know, and I think uh, a part of it too is uh, you know, there, there's pros and cons for either model, you know, for the, for the bone, for the commission-based model that maybe gets a little bit more negative associated to it, which kind of makes you think like, oh, like, you know, you're going to have this account executive who's going to pitch, 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 pitch. Um, I think, you know, in some cases that's totally fine. It depends on how that's being done. Like, you know, your job as a seller is the same thing as what a marketer is supposed to do, which is to tell a really good story and be able to drive home what that value is and what that benefit is. And so if that's what the seller is doing and they're kind of leading with that value add, uh, I don't think there's any problem with some sort of commission-based system because, you know, just like good marketers, the best marketers are, are really good storytellers. Um, and, you know, sales is just one part of the equation of a business. You've got to be able to, you know, if you're finding that you're not having success, it's not like, hey, let's let's turn up the pitch. Let's turn up the volume over there. It's like, okay, maybe we're not, maybe we don't have as much product market fit as we thought we did. Um, or maybe this person just isn't our ideal client and that's okay as well. Um, but I think what's really important is to make sure that you're doing all you can do to have that kind of like, you know, synthesis in your business where everything's kind of working together. And so, uh, back to your question, it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really have a preference. I don't mind being sold to if a product is really, really good. And maybe I missed something on the website, you know, that I didn't understand the full value and the full benefit of. 
Um, but I can also understand, you know, wanting to have uh, a good base salary and incentivize bonuses and, and however you want to do. Um, but for me personally, I don't really have a preference. It, it goes back to just, uh, can you answer the questions that I want? And, mm. you know, will you be okay if, you know, maybe I'm not your ideal client or, or whatever that is. Right on. So I'll put you down as uh, neutral. Um, and, uh, there's some nuance to, to Jay's answer here. Um, and so maybe with that, we will, uh, take off your B2B buyer flip-flops and we'll put on your, uh, B2B marketing hat. And, um, I'm curious, have you, uh, asked your buyers uh either at captivate talent or um as part of your i know you do some ad- advising and consulting on the side or at a prior company have you ever asked buyers similar questions in such an interview format like this like you know uh on a conference call or in person to ascertain um you know their buying preferences for how they like to be marketed to how they like to become aware of vendors, how they like to learn about vendors or how they heard about your company and how they learned about your company in particular. Yeah, then, absolutely. It, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's a combination of, uh, you know, being a good marketer, sitting in on, you know, sales kind of calls, discovery calls, whatever you want to call them, um, you know, looking at what's coming in through inbound, like where are these people coming from? Like, you know, we have a thing on our form that's like how did you hear about us so we're able to like understand like where are these people coming in from understanding that stuff you know even looking through emails and things like that uh so it's everything like you've got to be able to talk to your customers um and sit in on that and uh you know if you need someone to kind of bridge that gap like whether it is that uh because for most marketers they're not like the direct like if it's a sales call they're not the the person that's going to be pitching the product you're kind of like sitting in on there and, and maybe like understanding, or maybe even if you're going through a call recording or whatever that is, like, uh, make sure you're working closely with that person that is on the front line to kind of bridge that gap. Um, so I think it's all that, like talking through that and even potentially like, you know, sitting in on conversations later in the stage, like once someone converts, like sitting in, uh, you know, on kind of like, I guess, customer success calls or whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, when someone is a buyer, like how, what are you doing there? Like, what are, what are the benefits that they're getting that you can kind of maybe take and, and put back into your marketing and things like that? So it's it's everything. It's really like uh, full all the way through, um, you know, discovery, through being a customer for, you know, one, two, five years, uh, whatever that is. Um, so, you know, I, I try and do as much as I can to participate in, in that entire funnel um, over there. And um, that, that's what I'm focused on. Right on. So you got um, some of that feedback from buyers in the demo request form, also from listening to sales calls um, or customer success calls, or you know, from post sale. Um, and then also, have you uh, have you had direct interviews with buyers, um, like let's say customers after they bought, or you know, even just prospects, um, you know, just one to one marketing to these buyers as well. And yeah, how'd we that go? A- yeah, yeah, we haven't done any direct interviews yet, but we're working on actually a, a live show kind of format where we're going to work and, mm. and talk to our ideal client profile and bring some of our current customers on and talk through them about hiring and those things. Um, that's part of our long-term strategy, I guess. You know, mm. for me, it, it's balancing everything as someone who's a solo <laughs> marketer. Uh, mm. But I have done that kind of stuff before where I've run like customer interviews and kind of like figured out and understood like, um, you know, 
why did someone buy? And and those are really important um, as well. And I'd say like, even in that sense, like it doesn't take that many. And I'm sure, you know, mm-hmm. based on the people that you've talked to, I'm sure maybe some of those people would say the same. It doesn't take that many to, to find a, find some of those bigger trends um, in there. Usually when you get through like three to five conversations, you can, you can figure out pretty fast uh, what that discovery process is uh, yeah. for your ideal client. And what have you learned so far from your demo request form attribution and from your listening to conversations uh, with sales? Um, how are buyers uh, for Captivate Talent hearing about you and learning about you? Yeah, so we get it through a lot of different ways, actually, uh, which is great for us. You know, we have a, a pretty healthy amount of organic traffic that comes in. Um, and, you know, we get where the how did you hear about us is literally like, Google search, SEO, whatever you want to call it in that mixed bag over there. We also get um, a lot of stuff from social, LinkedIn. Um, Instagram has actually been a really great channel for us for um, the candidate side. Um, So we're kind of like, essentially, we're an agency that kind of functions as a two-way marketplace, essentially, for candidates and SaaS companies. Um, And so we get, uh, you know, people coming in through, uh, we do like some creator marketing partnerships as well. Um, so people will come through over there uh, and then, you know, we'll get, you know, just like every other business, which is like referral stuff, which is like, you know, so they heard from someone, whether it's being in like a Facebook group or a Slack community, mm-hmm. um, or maybe they were just talking to that person. Um, and then uh, another part of it comes through like partnerships as well, you know, uh, people that we can refer over business. And I think that's a really important piece, uh, you know, as well as kind of being in tune with like, what are the other services that your customers like? use and maybe those are some people that are not competing in the same space that you are but obviously it kind of fits that whole customer's ecosystem product ecosystem um and how can you get like uh you know how can you work with some of those companies to kind of uh you know work off of each other's audiences and and grow that way as well we're on so yeah referral partnerships uh, with non-compete vendors in the ecosystem and uh, benef- both mutually benefit from a revenue share. Um, so that's a, that's a great um, lead source. And so word of mouth, you've got uh, your ads, your social media. Um, some people will put, will put Google SEO, whatever that means, um, you know, and so, so that's great. And so how, um, how are you then doing marketing at your own company? So using those insights uh, and as the solo marketer at Captivate Talent, what are you focusing on and what are you avoiding? What are you not doing? So two parts of that, what are you focusing on doing and what are you avoiding? Yeah, I think, uh, I don't think there's anything that we're really like uh, avoiding, I'd say. Um, we try and do it all, but I'd say in terms of where we're spending extra effort is what I'd say. Um, the extra effort is really going on the, uh, the, the organic and social side. Um, so, you know, we're working to really ramp up uh, the content that we produce on our website, whether it's like, you know, your more long form content or even product pages, which are like a, a really effective way of driving traffic. If you know what you're doing there, um, we actually get a lot of stuff coming in through those product pages um, that are on there as well. Um, and then the other piece is like the social piece. So like I said, like we just recently launched a live show. We'll probably launch a second one that's more geared towards the the company side. Right now, we have one that's geared more towards like uh, candidates in revenue, um, so in sales, marketing, customer success for SaaS. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're taking that and you know taking that long form of content, um, doing what everyone 
that that's doing that right is doing, which is chopping it up into a bunch of smaller bites and distributing it across social and all of that good stuff over there. Um, so that's really where we're putting in the extra effort. Um, and then, you know, as we kind of create that base, I call it, it's just like building a house. Like you've got to get your foundation right before you can start building your, your first story or your second story or, you know, all the other nice little things that go into a house. And so uh, a big part of that foundational piece is that content is that social piece where we're going to be able to get that distribution. Um, and, you know, as that inbound engine is working, um, then it becomes a lot easier to, to spend time on maybe uh, some of those less, those kind of gray areas of marketing, right? Like partner marketing, it's not like, you know, we're going to reach out to 10 partners and we're going to get like, make sure that we get like X percentage into like some sort of partner thing. And, you know, how, what are, what are we going to do to create, you know, a, a good partnership over there? Like, what are the assets and tan, like the outputs that we're going to create? It might be a little bit different for each partner. Whereas like, you know, some of the more like content social stuff is something that you have like full control over. Um, so yeah, to summarize, you know, we're spending extra effort on content and social. Um, and then as we kind of build that foundation, it's going to be really, uh, you know, how can we make sure and, and leverage our partners and uh, generate as many referrals as we can. Right, right on. And so you've got some ads as well in the mix too, right? I think you mentioned uh, Facebook and Instagram ads. So we do, uh, we work with creators. Um, so like, for instance, we do a, uh, partnership with like overheard and sales. Um, so it's not like direct, like Facebook or Instagram ads and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, we haven't started doing anything down the ads channel yet. Um, just because there is so much low hanging fruit on the content side. Mm -hmm. Um, so we do a lot of, uh, we do creator marketing and we're hoping to scale that up, uh, as well over time, which I think actually, can be even more effective um, than ads if you do it the uh, the right way. There's uh, maybe you can early... explain a little bit uh, for folks who may not be familiar with what creative marketing or creator marketing is. Yeah, yeah. So creator influencer marketing, mm -hmm. um, it's been super popularized by direct to consumer B two C brands. Um, you see it all the time where someone's promoting some sort of product or stuff like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, works pretty much the exact same way in B two B. It's just not used as frequently. B two B is always feels like late to the game and a lot of that stuff. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, we're we're working there to kind of do like I said, like we have one bigger partnership that's like with overheard and sales where you know we do like a pay per post kind of model to, to mm -hmm. drive traffic back essentially um and it's just like how influencer marketing works in direct to consumer brands um and you know it's an effective way like there's a lot of uh you know we had a lot of uh creators come up in the direct to consumer um you know b2c world before b2b like there was a lot of content creators on that side um, and now they're starting to become more content creators in the B2B world. And it's starting to become a little bit more saturated, more mature. Um, and so as that develops, it's going to be pretty, the, the next step is obviously for those creators to be able to monetize with some sort of brand deals and things like that. It's inevitable. So um, that's, it is inevitable, on. Mr. Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's um, awesome. So going so, down yeah. the, the influencer route, co-marketing route, um, otherwise known as content creator route. Now you also, uh, so how about, um, cause I know you did the, the solo marketer there and, and you probably have some outside help as well. Um, what are you doing in terms of, 
you know, telemarketing, LinkedIn direct messages, the stuff we talked about before, uh, email uh, messages uh, or SMS, um, those type of things that we that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So all of our business um, when it comes to companies uh, comes in from either organic or referral or partnerships. That's mm-hmm. it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's not really very much outbound. Um, there's like zero outbound mm-hmm. um, for that piece. Um, when it comes to our candidates, obviously like, you know, we do recruiting. So, you know, we do reach out to candidates for pitching for jobs and things like that. Um, but we want to move eventually more into the, uh, the organic uh channel as well. And it's just a matter of, you know, can we, as we work to build our brand and, you know, more people know who we are in the space and what we can provide um, our goal and our hope is that, you know, people just come to us. as the first stop when they're looking for a new job um, or they're looking for career advice. And that's kind of the goal. And that's the engine that we're building over there. That's awesome. So, okay, cool. And then Um, are there example B2B companies, uh, who are doing marketing that you really dig and and want to see more of, um, and maybe talk a little bit about, you know, who they are and what do they do that you, that you dig. And, um, maybe it's had an effect on you as, uh, sometimes marketer, some, some of those companies could be companies that market to marketers, but just in general, any B2B companies who are doing marketing that you like and that people can learn lessons from. Yeah, I think, uh, I'm sure maybe some of the ones that'll rattle off. Hopefully I can, uh, say some ones that people haven't seen before, but, uh, <laughs> Refine Labs, I think does a great job. They're kind of like that same agency model essentially for mm. marketer mar- for marketing, essentially. Um, they do a great job. Uh, everyone knows about Gong and, you know, they do a really good job. I, I love the stuff that Webflow does, um, at least from how cohesive all of their content is. Um, and then, uh, trying to think of a, another one, another good one that I actually keep an eye out is a, a newer kind of, uh, company. It's actually spinoff from the people who started the hustle, which is, uh, I think it's called work week. Um, and they're kind of like a newsletter, uh, company model. Um, their target is like, uh, you know, B2B companies, like that's who's buying the ad space and they want to get, um, but they essentially have worked with creators, um, to set up their own newsletters, um, and help them kind of build their audience and kind of build a network for advertising as well, where they can like monetize and things like that, which I think is super, super cool. Um, but it, any of the the marketing that I really like to see and stuff like that is stuff that cuts against the norm. So, you know, if you are looking for marketing inspiration, um, look for uh, products that aren't or look for companies that aren't really doing what everyone else is doing and maybe trying something new, maybe doing something contrarian. Um, Cause I think that's where you'll find your best, uh, your best insights, especially if it's something, you know, that's like a, a repeatable kind of playbook or something like that, that you can kind of put together and take out of it. Yeah. Tell me about the contrarian playbook. Okay. <laughs> so what example companies um, have you seen that have done that contrarian play well that have gone against the grain, you know, historically, and that could go with, that could go, maybe they may not be one doing it nowadays, but that could even go back five, 10, 15 years ago. Is there one yeah. that pops to mind that, that uh, you like that narrative, the old way, new way type thing? Yeah. I'll kind of like on this, like uh creator kind of marketing thing, I'll uh, kind of give away a little something. I don't know when this episode is going out, um, but I'm actually, uh, I recently started working with uh, ClickUp actually um, to produce content um, and, and do some stuff over there. So I have 
some stuff that I'll kind of launch uh, tomorrow, actually, um, that I'm going to talk about and, and share and stuff like that. Um, but I think that's a really good uh, kind of contrarian model, I guess, like mm. in terms of the creator space, like no one's really like doing this effectively yet. Like there's some people that have kind of started to do it. I mean, affiliate marketing has been around forever, but that's not what like the, this new age of creator influencer marketing is. It's not just like that. It's like understanding that, you know, you're working with creators and, and stuff. Um, so I think that's something that's a little bit more contrarian, maybe, you know, a lot of B2B companies, B2B marketers tend to draw inside the lines. It's like the same kind of stuff. Like, you know, we're going to do a blog, we're going to do case studies, you know, the next thing that's kind of come from outside of the box into the box is like the podcast. Now, a lot of people want to do that and, and do all of those things. Um, uh, so I think that stuff that's uh, like the influencer stuff is a little bit more uh, contrary and potentially even thinking about like, you know, how to, how to utilize and maximize product pages, I think is a little bit contrarian as well, because most people build out pretty simple, you know, they, they do most of the same stuff. Um, so, you know, thinking of that contrarian stuff, like I, maybe talk about the product pages a little bit more because you mentioned them earlier and you said that there's some unique ways to use product pages. And I was kind of curious to hear more about that. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, just having a really good, uh, first of all, understanding of what product pages can do. Product pages are really good because a lot, a lot of the stuff that people end up creating for like blog content because they want to rank for like keywords and stuff like that, they end up creating long form blog contents for, which is great. Like, that's awesome. Um, but for me, like I've been, I guess, so into the social sphere. And I think as more people get into the social sphere, we're going to want to consume shorter and shorter form content. Um, and so like a 2000 word, 2,500 word blog just really doesn't do it for me unless it's really, really well laid out. And there's a lot of unique insights to take away. Um, so we're all go to like check out stuff like services and things like that. Like instead of wanting to go, like if I'm searching for, you know, uh, content marketers, like I don't want to read a blog about content marketers. I want to go to a product page that's for content marketers. And when you're thinking about that, like um, create product pages around those big keywords that you want to rank for, like find companies that do it really well, create a template for it um, and, and produce it and publish it. Nice one. So, so that's awesome. Um, interesting. And I haven't heard that one before about uh, better product pages and maybe not having your uh 2010 ultimate guide to ultimate guides to ultimate guides like 30,000 word keyword stuffing blogs um but making your product pages um way more interesting and, and useful and shareable and so um are there any other closing thoughts or parting thoughts um based on the conversation that that we've had so far um and marketing uh, do's and don'ts or things you'd like to see more of you want to add there um... before we close out yeah, I guess to summarize, you know, focus in on uh, focus in on building better experiences is like the the main thing that I would take away. And then the the other thing that I'd say is like, um, you know, make sure you have your your key bases covered. Like, you know, just because you don't want to do something, like you should make sure that you're you've got everything that's in the box done um, before you go out of the box. And then the last thing I'd say is like, don't be afraid to go out of the box. Don't be afraid to be a little bit contrarian because the the most growth for marketing teams generally tends to happen when people think a little bit outside of the box and how they can acquire users or how they can keep 
users on for longer, you know, whatever that is. Um, so be willing to be a little bit contrarian um, as well. And those are, those are the parting thoughts I'll leave with. Nice one. And so th- this is a really important point about being contrarian because this is like marketing strategy and your positioning med- messaging um, that will f- trickle through all your tactics. So if you just have a really compelling narrative um, that you can communicate to the market about, let's say the old way, new way, there's a couple different ways to do this. Um, you know, uh, for example, Refined Labs did this uh, with their, you know, the old way of doing marketing versus the new way t- to some extent. And then uh, Gong did that with uh, Unlock Reality because it was either like, you know, do you take sales as word for it or do you just listen into the sales calls and hear right from the buyers? And so, um, you know, that is a compelling message that you can communicate on all and distribute on all the different platforms and channels that will really resonate. So it takes some work to kind of practice and, and get some error, but, you know, you eventually get closer and closer and closer towards that. Right. Jay. Um, so maybe with that, we'll, we'll close out. Um, how can folks find you um, and maybe also share a little bit more, you know, if there's anything else we haven't mentioned about captivate um, that you can share with the audience in case anyone might benefit, go ahead. Yeah, for sure. So just a reminder for Captivate, I guess, is, you know, we uh, work with uh, early to growth stage SaaS startups uh, looking to hire top revenue talent and sales marketing customer success. So if you're interested in working with us, uh, check out our website. That's my standard pitch, I guess, for that. Um, If you want to connect with me, uh, LinkedIn is the best place. Uh, Jay Desai, if you're connected with Nelson, um, you should be able to find me as well. Um, I'm also on Twitter now. Again, I was on Twitter before, but I'm trying to really kick it back up. Uh, so you could search for me over there, Jay Desai, um, as well. I need to add that in my LinkedIn bio, <laughs> a link to that. Uh, but I'll, 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 I'll drop those links to Nelson as well. And I'm sure you can share them out um, as well. But uh, mm. yeah, that's that's the best way to connect with me. Yeah, totally. Jay's deets will be in the podcast podcast description um, and check out his LinkedIn content. That is how I heard about Jay. So again, marking the attribution, I heard about Jay uh, on LinkedIn from his content and social media marketing. Uh, He didn't uh, telemarket me or email spam me or LinkedIn spam me or anything like that um, to become aware of or to learn about him or to come onto this podcast. So um, with that, I uh, hope you guys enjoy this one. Jay, thanks so much for sharing your insights and your buying preferences and your marketing tips. Uh, this was awesome. Hope to hear good things about you and um, captivate and see the, the cool uh, influencer marketing that you're doing as part of captivate, but also that you're doing yourself um, for other vendors, which is a really cool um, I think route uh, to take. So with that buyer centric revenue model over and out.